You're listening to Resilient Forward, a podcast show to educate the public on the people, businesses, governments, and nonprofits working on resilient solutions and innovative strategies to our most challenging environmental issues. I am your host, Irela Bagué, a Florida native and environmental advocate. I have seen firsthand the impacts of climate change and its effects on our economy. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and learn something new about the fight against climate change in our path towards a resilient future. So today we are with Emilio Lopez, who's the CEO of SOP Technologies. We're very excited because your company is all about solutions in the water sector. Thank you, Irela. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be interviewed here. And uh, I, you know, I really appreciate that you're interested in solutions. So the SOP and SOP technologies, that stands for a mission, which is to stop ocean pollution. And, uh, and of course, the technologies is because that's our area of focus. There are many groups out there doing things such as education and outreach and beach cleanups and things of that nature. But we focus on the other side of things, which is, you know, if people are not behaving the way that they should to protect the environment or if there are ways to improve, uh, you know, the way that the, the water is managed or uh, the water quality, technology is one way that we get involved. That's great. I mean, I, from, from what I've read, basically you're, you create a barrier between people's bad behaviors <laughs> and and then and the end the end up water body so basically right. um, let's talk a, about some of the really cool um, products that SOP technologies um, creates one of which is a stormwater filter that and you work with local governments right that's right and the the interesting thing is that these systems work very similarly around the world um, so essentially the water goes on the street and it goes into the opening on the side of the road, which is a storm drain opening. And then it goes from there into a pipe. And typically those pipes just connect to bigger pipes and bigger pipes. And all of that flows out into a canal or a local lake or straight out into the bay. Um, so we have a, a technology, a, a screen or a filter, we like to call it, that we patented uh, several years ago that was developed here in Miami. And, um, and the way that it works is that it, it's more efficient at preventing trash from getting into the system, uh, including leaves, which contribute to nutrient loads. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. It's because not leaves only... carry fertilizers and all kinds of, you know, weed kill and stuff too, right? That's right. That's right. And, and the intent from a, from a nature standpoint is for that leaf and all that organic matter to decompose on the ground. It's not supposed to travel out into the bay and then you know receive more sunlight and then help proliferate algae right um, which then of course means less sunlight getting to the the plants at the bottom of the the, the seagrass which are so sensitive um, Th that's right that's right but other than leaves i mean god i see plastic bottles on the street i see all kind of plastic bags i mean so much stuff gets into these you know collecting you know storm collection systems yeah it's, it's an incredible amount and some of these systems they're actually not connected to the waterways mm -hmm. um, but those systems that are not connected to the waterways they have pipes that are perforated underground and then all of this trash stays sitting in there sometimes for many years until somebody comes around and vacuums it out and that's another area that 
I'm actually very concerned about, which is, you know, what happens when you have uh, all the styrofoam and plastic and, and glass and all these other things, paints that are underground sitting there for years and just leaching into our groundwater uh, before it's collected. So we aim to prevent that from happening. Um, but the reason uh, many cities decide to implement our technology is not only for the environmental benefit, but because it's cheaper uh, to just sweep the street or collect trash at the street instead of using an expensive uh, vacuum type of system. Right. First of all, there's so many compounding effects. So when a storm drain gets clogged with stuff, it's pollution in that storm drain, okay, mm -hmm. leaching, like you said. But there's also, then the street's flooding. So you have all these, uh, you know, uh, issues. And then you bring these big vacuum trucks, because I've seen them on my street, for example, and... That, yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a big contractor. So why not cut your costs? Yes, that, that's the thing. When, when a city looks at the return investment from a monetary standpoint, they're seeing, okay, we're, we're spending some money now and we're implementing a, a screen or a filter in front of the storm drain opening. But what does that represent? That represents uh, cost savings in the next few years. But immediately it also represents protecting waterways because the moment you install this you're already protecting your waterways and you're also um, preventing floods which also have their own costs associated with them because of course once your house gets flooded that's many more thousands of dollars than oh and your you insurance costs and the insurance goes up and because not many people do have flood insurance sadly um, which they should if it rains it's going to flood and you might as well get flood insurance that's, that's right that's right <laughs> that's what i say um but um, talk about um, some of the, um, the other technologies that you offer. Sure. So, from, uh, so that's where we started off with the storm drain filters for the street level. Then we started evolving something that is a little bit bigger. Now this is more customized. For example, if there's a pump station, you can install the same type of patented screen uh, to you know, filter out or screen uh, larger volumes of water. Um, then there's another area that we realized we needed to get more involved with, and this is the area of uh, IoT, or Internet of Things, mm. and sensors. Um, High-tech technology innovation, this is, a, this is what I love to talk about. Yes, yes, this is way more uh, out into the future. Right. <laughs> because. Uh, so this is something you're developing, currently developing. But, but, right. but before we get into that, let's go back to uh, the pump stations, because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of talk. Um, particularly in South Florida, because we deal with king tide flooding, some of our cities have implemented pump technologies that in some cases, you know, people, there's a perception that they're moving, you know, they're moving a lot of this water, they're, even if it's not treated and it goes right into the bay, and that's a problem because that's, again, introducing pollutants unnecessarily into our water body. So your technology would create a filter that would be implemented in the pump? How does that work? This would be before uh, the water reaches the pump station so the pump can work more effectively. Got it, so, so it's a pre-filtration type system. That's right, Very that's cool. right. And, and one thing that you touched upon, which I actually uh, speak to my clients about all the time, public works departments and, and the community, is that you know our type of solution is ideal for a new construction or a retrofit for existing infrastructure so you can you know, use it, you know, for a longer period of time so that it can be more effective. But ultimately, there are other ways that I think society needs to deal with uh, pollution. For example, uh, people need to be better educated. 
Absolutely. That's so right. So education starts with each and every one of us, right? Yeah, that's right. It's the human behavior side of things. Also, uh, just building in different ways. Uh, so if we can capture the water instead of having to rely so much on systems that convey the water from the street out into the bay, that's another way of, uh, of addressing the problem. So when you so, say capture it, like what do you mean, like in a retention pond or like what? It can be a retention pond. It can be any way uh, to build where the water uh, goes straight down into the ground. That, so that's for right example, near. like, and we've, we're starting to hear a lot about green infrastructure, green solutions to water management. Um, especially with a lot of these adaptation, resilience adaptation projects in neighborhoods where they're raising the roads. And so the right of way becomes that collection area when the water gets a little too high and that way it percolates. But you know, Miami is certain parts of, of Miami-Dade County, you have so much concrete and people love stamp concrete. They don't, some, some, some areas don't want to mow their lawn. So they just like concrete everything. And this perception that, you know, we have to live with the water in some form or fashion. And it's better for the water to trickle itself down and filter itself down naturally than keep moving it into storm drains. That's right, that's right. And that's why I think it's important to think about all the different types of solutions because there's no one size fits all. Of course, yeah. Um, not every urban environment is the same. Um, and also, uh, you know, I think it's important to realize that some community members, they actually want to be involved as well. In, in the solution. So giving them that opportunity, I think is also important. Well, I think it's very important. And you know, when I work with communities and we do some public outreach programs, it's important, especially in a neighborhood. You know, every neighborhood has its character and you really don't wanna go in and change it. You know, you want people to collaborate with you. What do you, you know, ask them what they want and actually be part of the whole planning and design and visioning of what they want to see. That's right, and, and I really like what the city of Miami did. They had a bunch of workshops. I believe it was for the stormwater master plan, and they yes. had community members come in. And you know, gra granted, not as many people show up to those events as others, but the opportunities were given. Right, and, and you, you know, know that's important. and that was at the beginning stage. And you know, full disclosure, I'm working on that project, and that's basically my project. <laughs> okay. And thank you for coming to one of our meetings as an expert, because it's very important to hear from our experts that you know, are we on the right track? Is this working? Is it's not working? Um, but but yeah, that was at the beginning, and so hopefully, once we're done with all the data collection and we understand where where the problem areas are, then we can start developing you know some solutions with the community together, um, collaborating. So that way our policymakers can prioritize. You know, there's only a certain amount of money for these public works projects eventually. So, you know, we gotta prioritize and deal with the, the problem areas first. Yes, and, and that actually is something that we're currently uh, speaking with the city of Miami about. And one of the, actually two of the locations that we're considering uh, to implement our stormwater filters are a direct result from those workshops where community members said, hey, you know, these areas here, they get a lot of trash. Mm -hmm. um, because of this, we have flooding on the streets. Right. So why not take that information and say, okay, if we're going to test something, let's test it in the places where the community members are saying that they have the biggest problem. That's fantastic. I mean, you know, in that way, your tax dollars are at work, but they're at work for you. Yes, and, and, and sometimes it's a lot simpler to ask somebody where the problem is rather than to try and create a complex study to uh, capture some data that will be very expensive and time consuming to collect, 
and where, hard to understand for the average person. That's right, and, and, and people live, uh, have been living in their communities for many years, and they can just tell you where the problems are. Absolutely, that's why they need to be, a, they need to be part of the solution. Um, so let's, let's talk to me about, um, you know, we have so many canals and so many water bodies. Um, you work with um, folks that um, implement, they have these cleaning boats, water cleaning boats. Talk about that work because they pick up a lot of debris, but not just trash, they pick up more than that, right? Yes, so um, unfortunately, some of those boats have also been used to capture dead fish. Oh, <laughs> so, sadly. Yes, yeah, sadly, sadly. That's one of those extra things. Um, but this, uh, this company that we've partnered with, they're called Elastic. They're, they're actually based in the United States. They have um, a license from a British company mm -hmm. uh, to manufacture and sell this boat that collects uh, debris and trash and floatables from the surface of the water. And they make this in different sizes. They have it all over the U.S. And the reason we partnered with them is because they have uh, another area of technology that fits in with what we're working on in our mission, right, right, to stop ocean pollution, but not from the sense of prevention, which is where we have started. But, you know, what do you do after something has already gotten into the waterway? And I think it's important to realize so that. So like a, you, you work on pre and they work on post. That's right, that's Got right. Got it. And, and I think combining our, our efforts is helpful because we can come in with a solution that helps address a problem from different places. Mm -hmm. If you think about, for example, you know, we start off at the street level, which is where the trash is usually generated. Um, but then, you know, if something is a little bit further down the pipe, we also have something for that. But if it's already in the waterways, we need to partner with someone that's a little bit more specialized in that area. And they also have, uh, for example, uh, debris containment booms that they've, uh, they've been working with South Florida Water Management District for, for a long time to using canals to, to channel the, the trash that's there and collect it more effectively. Um, but, but this just goes to, uh, to re reiterate the fact that there's no one size fits all. There's no one solution that's going to solve all the problems. Right. And it's definitely not only technology, and I know it sounds like it's uh, not in my best interest to say that, <laughs> but that's the truth. Uh, if people did not litter, there would be a very, very small market right. for technologies to address litter. I mean, it's, it's clear to me, and you know, there have been very, very successful um, educational campaigns out there you know, on you know, water consumption, energy efficiency. So to me, it's a no-brainer you know, for us to consider really doing a big, better job, we being you know, where we live in South Florida, Miami-Dade, um, better job at educating the public um, because we have so many, not only do we have residents, but we have lots of visitors that come in and out of everywhere. I mean, we're, you know, we're a global destination, so people bring their bad habits, or sometimes they're good habits and they, they, get, they freak out when they see areas that are blighted and polluted. So it's not good for business one way or the other. And something that's just now starting to come out um, more, more and more, is a, is a research that shows the health impact, the human health impact of microplastics. Oh, I know. And these studies are starting to come out more and I'm going to speak to more of these experts in this area, but in, in a way it's unfortunate that we have all this research that is being dedicated to analyze this problem um, because we've been talking about it for decades. Why wait for the definitive proof that these microplastics are harming people uh, this way, X, Y, Z. 
you don't need to wait for that. If you know it's a problem right. now, just start dealing with it. Well, I mean, I've seen, I've seen, and these are in documentaries, so, you know, I don't know where, where the science comes from or anything, but I mean, you know, visually, when you see a bird that dies and you open up the bird like a pelican mm -hmm. and it's full of plastic, it just makes you want to cry. Yes, there's, a, there's an island actually called Midway Island mm -hmm. that doesn't have any human activity for, I'm not sure how, how many miles, um, but you have a bunch of dead birds and the photographer went over there and he took pictures of this and there's a film about a documentary. That's probably what I was watching. I think I saw it on 60 Minutes actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's something that's very sad, but it shows that, you know, what you... Uh, Eventually, you, the plastic makes it even to the most remote areas. So it's in the ocean, right. and we just, I mean, we really just have to stop. Um, but let's, let's start talking about brighter, a brighter future and a smarter, <laughs> a smarter future. Good. Um, you're working on uh, something really cool, sm smart stormwater systems, um, part of smart city technology and the Internet of Things, as we previously mentioned. So talk, talk about some of the stuff you're working on. Sure. Because that's exciting. So, as you know, we have the screens that prevent trash and it allows you to see the trash on the street so you can pick it up. One of the challenges though is, you know, what if uh, you have a different type of system and you cannot implement that type of screen on the roadway or you don't want to for, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. but uh, containing the trash uh, underground is a potential risk because now you don't know how much trash is accumulated down there. Right, or when, so, or when you need to clean it out. That, exactly, or when you need to clean it out. So this is the, the space that we have started to address, or the challenge that we have started to address with uh, connected devices. So what we're talking about is a sensor that will measure, uh, it's really measuring distance, but it's it telling you how full is a container. And in this case, instead of being a trash container, for example, that's on, sitting on top of the roadway, it would be the container of the stormwater catch basin, which is underground. Right. And once you know the fill level, so to speak, of that, then you can focus your energy uh, cleaning it when you're supposed to clean it, not spending time and money going out there with a vector system when it's barely, uh, you know, barely full, and also not so going out there schedule. after a flood. It helps, to, it helps to schedule also the cleaning the cleaning time so that your, your vendor, whoever it is that ha needs to come out and clean it, has a schedule. They know more or less what the high, high peak times of, of the month or whatever time frame it takes for it to fill up to go. That's right. Um, That's so right. this would be basically just to you know break it down for simple minds like mine. <laughs> it would be a sensor that basically sends out information to a dashboard somewhere at the mm -hmm. city um, probably their solid waste department or their public works department and it basically sets a little alarm or sends a message saying hey these catch basins are starting to get full you may want to schedule cleanup it, exactly yes and that that would be the it's, it's very complex but that would be the most basic mm -hmm. um, benefit of having something like that um, you optimize the use of your existing resources but then if you take it a step further, what if you were then to use the data to then better focus your other efforts? So if you know that a location is uh, clogged all the time with uh, trash and litter, why don't you then focus your, your time and energy on education and outreach 
in those specific areas, talk to those businesses, talk to those people. Right, so it gives so. you information of your problem areas as well so that you can then take you know, an initiative. That's right, that's right. And this is something that is very difficult to do if you don't have solid data. Right. So the sensors help not only to save money and focus your cleanup efforts, but then beyond that, uh, to you know, inform how you should spend your time and efforts in other areas. Talk about efficiencies. I mean, this you're really bringing efficiencies into a system that I find very, it's a very old and antiquated style of, of, of dealing with water um, and, and flood mm -hmm. protection, but you know, we, we don't realize that that water has an impact down the road, polluted impact down the road that eventually affects our economy in so many other ways. Um, you work out of a very interesting place. So you have mm -hmm. a re you know have an av a regular office, and then mm -hmm. you have your factory where you create and um, also make all of your products. That's so right. So talk about this place because I find it's very it's very cool. Um, it's called. So this place is called Make MIA, and we come over here for research and development. So for example, if we have a specific change we want to test in our product something small, but we're not sure if the dimension will be quite right, if the product will be as strong as we are expecting it to be based off of the com computer modeling. We'll come over here and we'll use uh, different machines. So they have over here, for example, a laser cutter, uh, several types of 3D printers. They have a CNC mill, they have metal machines, they have welding. So with the combination of these uh, machines at a small scale, obviously this is not a, a large factory, um, right. you're able to test an idea, and in our case is to test a product modification before we tell the, the manufacturer, hey, you know, for this next batch of 100 units, why don't you change this dimension here, make it a quarter inch smaller. Before making that decision, which can be a very costly one if you make a mistake, it's good to come to places like M Make MIA, which, uh, you know, it's called like a maker space typically. Right. And, uh, and build it, build it at a small scale, test it out. And then you're able to uh, more efficiently determine whether or not you should invest more in that change for the product. Um, so this uh, particular So it's kind space, of like your industrial lab workshop. It, that's right, that's right, <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's a way of uh, doing research and development right. in, a, in a space that has a variety of tools and equipment and software and I actually started using this uh, before I came to Miami to dedicate my time to this company um, in San Francisco. Mm. They had a shop similar to this. That's where I learned a lot of the things that I do. And especially because I'm not a mechanical or industrial engineer uh, by education. Right. This is something that I, I started to learn uh, because of the issue that we were trying to resolve. Right, because you're pollution. passionate about stopping ocean pollution. That's right, that's right. And, and somehow I, realized that you know it's not enough to just be passionate about it i had to learn the engineering and this was the way that i could learn it so i went to a shop similar to this one in san francisco in miami there are three of them mm -hmm. that i know of there's uh, make mia where we're at right now there's moonlighter miami that's currently located in miami beach there's miami industrial arts that does more uh, woodworking and crafty uh, type of projects as right. far as i know um, but uh, these are places where companies like mine were able to start and grow and conduct research, research and development 
in a way that's much more efficient and economically feasible. That's great. I mean, definitely I see so much potential in places like this for startups. And I mean, it's, it's, I think we really need to get the word out on these maker spaces and maybe, maybe have more or enhance the ones that we already have for all this innovation and technology because look, you're a product of, of that. And, and you have a number of clients now since you started. So you're becoming the expert and, and becoming very successful at what you're doing. Yes, and, and it's not only um, the ability to build things here, but also the people that you interact with. So similar to, let's say, a WeWork, where right. you're a, let's say you're a digital startup and you're building an app, there are many other app companies near you. You can learn from each other, you can network. Over here, you're doing something similar, but you're talking about a physical product. Right. And you're able to network with people that have their own ideas and they can give you input and advice on building something that's physical. Right, and for the listeners, basically, there's a lot of like welding stuff going on here. There's a lot of robot building going on here, very cool. I'm looking at a bunch of battle bots, which is very fun, and I'm sure my son would love this. Um, but there's, you know, there's all these products being, you know, developed and, and tested here, which I find, find fascinating. I had no idea that we had these kind of industrial labs um, in Miami, so definitely it's something that, um, that we should probably, as a community, support. So Emilio, Thank you so much for joining us. I love the work that you're doing. Um, I hope that you'll be able to continue helping our cities um, and our you know, water folks, water and sewer folks mm -hmm. uh, implement a lot of these technologies. I think we need it everywhere to just prevent, you know, sadly, you know, the pollution that, that continues to uh, impact our waterways. But we try to end every episode with the same question for every guest. Okay. And um, the, question, the, que <laughs> the question is, what does resilience mean to you? So I think it's, um, it's preparing for the future, but doing it in a way that, that makes sense and that's, uh, that's most feasible. I think that you know, not every problem requires money to be thrown at it. Sometimes it's a different mindset that people need to have. And because of that mindset, they change their behaviors. And that in turn will make you more resilient. I mean, as humans, right, we, we have actually survived uh, under many uh, types of circumstances. Uh, many cultures have survived under harsh circumstances. Um, but we're still here, right? And I think that um, it's not always going to be negative. I think that uh, there are many people out there that are doing good things and people that want to do good things more so than the opposite. And because of that, overall, we are resilient and will continue to be. And we just need to uh, you know, push forth and believe that we can do it. And you know, just uh, keeping that positive mindset, I think, is the way to go. What a great answer. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us on Resilient Forward. Thank, thank you, you. Rella. Thank you for listening to Resilient Forward. Don't forget to like this episode on your favorite podcast platform and share with your friends and colleagues. If you would like to know more about Resilient Forward or join us as a guest, please visit www.resilientforward.com. Join us next time and remember, our environment 
is our economy.